Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the ways to get into your heart is through creating a relationship with your inner self or your inner child and learning how to have a conversation with this part of yourself. And I say this is the most important relationship that anyone has is your relationship with yourself. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Couchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you all are in for a treat today. I, I say that a lot of times, but just spending a little bit of time with Chris Wise out of Denver, Colorado, and really the world, as you'll find out as we dive into this interview. There's going to be some wisdom here that's probably going to be unconventional for a lot of you. And I think if you want to live like the 1%, unconventional wisdom is necessary. And so without further ado, Chris, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast, man. So glad you could make time for us today. Yeah, thanks, Jerome. I appreciate the invite. Man, so you and I were going back and forth about this thing. And we were talking about an event where we met out in. I think it was Austin, Texas, uh, a couple of months yep. ago, maybe, maybe a month ago. And you were talking about creating success from a hill place. And we, we were going around the mulberry bush about most people start from a place of pain and they use that pain to create success. And you're like, no, 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 that's not it. I want to bring things from a place of love. And so yeah, where did that come from? And then we'll come back and talk about your backstory, but where did that come from? And maybe your backstory will come up in your explanation. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it's, it's, uh, I was the firstborn in a a middle-class American family. And when I was told, like when I wanted something, generally speaking, I was told we can't afford it. And as a strong-willed child, I fucking hated hearing that. And so I was like, I'm going to figure out how to do it. So I started my first business at 12, sharpening chainsaw chains. And, uh, second, Whoa, that's you know, second, <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous for 12 years. Um, started my next comp, you know, next company at 16, building computers, uh, bought my first house at 19, was a millionaire by 21, um, sold my first company in my mid twenties, my second company in my mid thirties. But what was driving me this whole time was pain. 
it was because um, my parents, when I was in school, they taught me like, oh, if I wanted to get their love and acceptance, I had to do well in school. I had to get A's. I had to behave. I had to be a certain way. So that even further anchored in performance-based behavior that the love and acceptance that I wanted to experience, that we all want to experience, we all want to be love, accepted, validated, all that stuff. But I learned to receive that external of myself through my performance. And so that not only I already, I had naturally big, you know, I wanted things. And then that just drove me to um, creating myself into this performing machine that then eventually created this successful persona, you know, then getting influenced by people like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins, who taught me like, hey, if I want to have this life of success, I need to be in control. I need to control my thoughts. I need to control my emotions, like so I can take powerful action, so I can actually create the life of my dreams. And I had bought into all of this whole, this whole paradigm of 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 how most of the world I think thinks about success. But it was all this control that I was implementing was so that I could be in control of actually feeling love, accepted, and validated. And so finally, I started getting into spirituality and starting to learning about getting into the heart and realizing like how actually unhealthy, you know, control was and realizing like, man, there is something to surrender. Like what is surrender? What's getting into the heart? And then I ended up in prison for 19 months, you know, didn't even know that I had done anything wrong. And that broke me open. I was already on this journey, had all this, but that broke me open so deeply and really just broke down this paradigm of this internal prison of control that I had created for myself so that I could feel love validated and accepted. And I, and I was learning and I had, I was already on this journey, but then I really learned and I became the source of my own love, acceptance and validation. And then the whole paradigm shifted in prison and coming out of prison over the last eight years, I've been relearning how to live life and how to create my life where I can still have the life of my wildest dreams, but doing it from a place of being kind and loving towards myself and not from a paradigm of control. So I know it's intentional, but I don't think most people will pick up on it. You said the prison of control. An internal, I created an internal prison of control. And here's what that meant. I was taught by all this personal development stuff that like I had to control my thinking, right? I can't say words like, but can't and try. And um, I have to constantly monitor my, am I having positive thoughts? Oh, if I don't have positive thoughts, it's going to law of attraction. It's going to, well, whatever, right? And then like, if I'm not feeling, I got to be in a powerful emotional state so I can accomplish. And if you're not, people don't want to be around people that are feeling like sad or depressed, right? So it got to be, you can't feel negative emotions. You got to be in this state. And what I realized the insanity of all of that by trying, but look, first off, when somebody's in a victimhood mentality, there is something to that. I don't want to completely throw it out. When somebody's in a level of victimhood, you do need to gain a level of autonomy. And all that stuff's very helpful for gaining autonomy and reaching into that next level of kind of personal growth. But that, it doesn't end there because there's the next evolution where you actually let go of all of that because you want to evolve, continue to evolve emotionally. And it's it's so hard to constantly monitor your thought. Or am I thinking a positive? 
fuck? And I reached a place when I was in prison, I was just surrendering and surrendering and surrendering. I said, you know what? I want to let go of constantly trying to monitor my thoughts. And I want to let go of constantly trying to worry if I'm in a positive or negative state. And I said, whatever I'm thinking is perfectly okay. Whatever I'm feeling is perfectly okay. Whatever I do is perfectly okay. And there was this massive amount of freedom that came from saying, it's okay, whatever I'm thinking, feeling, or doing. And that brought in this whole level of transformation. But I wasn't able to do that until I had loved myself sufficiently and felt safe enough because I realized I didn't feel safe. And that's why I had to have this internal control of my thought. I didn't feel safe enough. And I realized there was an amount of love that was missing that I hadn't given to myself. So I had to be in control of my thoughts and emotions and all this control. And it was actually increasing how much I had loved myself that made me feel safe, that allowed me to feel like I can let go of this internal prison of control that all these gurus had taught me to create. So you believe we create safety for ourselves? You can create internal safety. And most people don't know how to do that and haven't done that for themselves. That's heavy. Because... I've heard most people say, oh, that person didn't make me safe or the situation didn't feel safe. And what you just offered to us is regardless of where you are, you can be safe because you're there. And that's just another level. It's a different level of control, right? Because, man, we're going to unravel things today, ladies and gentlemen, because foundationally, this challenge is just about everything that we've been taught about safety. I mean, people walk around with guns and knives because they say it makes them feel safe. I don't know that that actually does anything. You're talking about going within and accepting yeah. yourself in a way that most people don't even begin to understand themselves. And in that, you're finding safety. Am I getting it right? Yeah, and, and it's, it's through learning how to love and embrace my inner self or my inner child Love the one who feels afraid. Love the one who feels scared. Love the one who feels angry. Love all these parts of myself. So one, that I'm safe enough to be with whatever. First off, so I feel safe enough to be with whatever emotion arises within. Because so many people, um, you may have a high EQ and know how to recognize different emotions, but somebody who has a high EQ doesn't mean they have a high LQ. And somebody who has a high LQ, a high love quotient, is somebody who's able to actually be present with their own emotions. And, and it can be very hard to be present with sadness or fear or, or sadness or loneliness or boredom, right? Can you just sit with your own sadness? Can you sit and be present with your own anger? Can you sit with devastation? How deep can you sit and be with all of it? Can you sit and be with jealousy? Right. And the only way that you can feel safe to actually be present with these different emotions and feel through them and feel them, allow them to move through your body is through loving so deeply, loving yourself and loving the one who's feeling that way, loving these parts of self, your inner child. And then that creates a level of internal safety from feeling different emotions. And when you start getting safe to feel with different emotions, then you can be in different situations where these emotions might come up. Right. Like when this guy, when I was in prison and this guy, I was playing cards with him and I was beating him 
And all of a sudden, he gets angry and he slams his hands on the table. He stands up and he's like, come on, let's fight. And I had visualized, because I had chosen to go through prison in the most kind and loving way. And I had also chosen to go through prison where I wouldn't respond to violence with violence, even though I had a lot of martial arts training, Krav Maga, and I knew how to really hurt somebody, defend myself. But then I was meditating one day in my cell. I thought, well, what would I do if somebody was trying to fight me? And this idea came into my head. And I was like, well, what would happen if I replied with, I love you to somebody who was trying to fight me? I said, that, I'm so curious. I'm so curious. And so I began to visualize somebody coming up to fight me and me replying with, I love you. And then here it is. I'm in the lunchroom. Joe's standing there, hands up, ready to go. Come on, let's fight. And I stand up and I look him in the eyes. Now, I felt fear. I felt uncertainty, but I had loved myself sufficiently to be present enough to feel that and feel safe. I felt safe feeling these emotions, which enabled that safety in that space to create a conscious response, which was, I love you. I love you. And it wasn't a weak or a soft, I love you. But I responded, I love you to Joe. And then all of a sudden, Joe's face, his face changes. All of a sudden, he looks lost and confused like a deer in headlights. And he turns and walks away. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Did he come back or that was the end of the altercation and the end of cards with Joe forever? <laughs> that was it. I mean, after that, I felt like he was kind of, I think, afraid of coming up to me. He didn't want to get any love on him, perhaps. Um, uh, and yeah. That's pretty much the end of Joe. I, I mean, okay. So I'm sure the listeners would like, okay, this guy was at a special band or something. Like, what's he in prison for? Is it like quadruple homicide with his bare hands? Like, why would a guy walk away? He's a tough guy in prison. Like, how did you end up in a space where you were there? You, you didn't even know that you did anything wrong. And now you, almost two years of your life, you're, you basically had no choice but to give up control. Yeah, so I was in prison. Um, I had hired a company to help me get a loan. They did things fraudulently. I learned they were doing things fraudulently, but I thought, how can I get in trouble for that? I'm going to use the money for legal purposes. I'm going to pay it back. But that was my mistake, right? Cons I was charged with conspiracy for bank fraud and, and, and conspiracy. I benefited from the crime of another. I didn't know it was illegal. My mistake, a hard learning lesson, um, but that's what, landed me in prison for 19 months. Ouch. Ouch. Okay, so the financial crime, you're in prison. Guys, I imagine, you, you I mean, you talked about your success. So, I mean, you went from middle class to pretty well off from a financial standpoint in a relatively short order. And now you find yourself in prison is that what forced the self-reflection or were you already experiencing some challenges or other things that forced you to pause and consider all of the programming that you have? I was, I was always on a journey. Like 18, I got into, you know, success literature and like all the, you know, learning about goal setting. And then I got into personal growth and uh, then in my mid twenties really did a lot of inner child work and like healing from, uh, you know, the, 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 the pains of, of, of my childhood and working through 
parental stuff. Um, and then I started getting into stuff, always, always growing, always has been a huge personal growth, personal development. Um, and then I started getting into spiritual stuff. That's always been a core element, actually, probably the most important factor because, you know, I learned that, hey, you know, if I want to have massive amounts of success, I need to grow internally. I need to learn. I need new skills. And so um, and then at a certain point, I started getting more into spirituality and went on a spiritual path and then learning about the heart and getting into meditation and um uh, you know, doing things like ayahuasca. And, and so there's been a whole, you know, all of that was prior to prison. And so all of that just gave me the tools so that when prison actually happened, it enabled me to just real, I had a very strong ego structure and it required a force. My ego required a force greater than myself to actually break through it um, to where I could really know how to surrender and really know how to let go. And that force was the United States government. They, I mean, they have infinite funds and you get in their sights, man, it's, it's a, it's a battle. And I didn't really have the full amount of money to fight like I, I would have. Um, and so it, it was, you know, I did a plea deal. I cooperated, um, even though I felt there was a certain level of unfairness that I was being treated. Um, it, it, but, but by me surrendering to the government, it, it showed me a pathway of what surrender looked like to a higher power, uh, such as the the universe. And then my journey in prison was really about surrendering and letting go. And then I realized how much control I was holding on to that I had built by all these gurus telling me I needed to be in control of my life and really just have, realizing how not in control of my life I actually was and how this illusion of control is really just that. And so then that's when I really discovered how can I create my life from a place of surrendering and letting go and really a new type of power um, that's not rooted in control, but it's actually rooted in the heart. Man, there's two places I want to go and I don't know where to go first. I'll go to surrender and then I'll come back to LQ. So a lot of people will say surrender is weak, but I think you would probably offer to them that is strong. Why is yeah, it surrendering weak? Yeah, I mean, it depends on your understanding of surrender, right? Like a lot of people relate that to like war and somebody's, you know, surrendering. They're giving up, you know, their objectives. Uh, to me, I would say you can think about surrender as letting go of the things that you aren't in control of, right? Like, um, you, you know, there'd be certain in, in business, you know, certain outcomes that I would, uh, you know, try to hit. And then I would get so frustrated and upset that I didn't hit them. And, um, uh, you know, upon reflecting around how I used to be operating in business, I realized, man, that my relationship to those outcomes and me not hitting it actually didn't help me move forward because there was an attachment to the outcome. And by letting go meant I was no longer attached to the outcome, which creates a new energetic relationship to what I'm actually trying to create, which actually creates a greater propensity and possibility for that coming into reality. So while, uh, you know, somebody who says surrender is weakness, they don't understand the true power and what it actually means to surrender. Because when you let go of the things that you're not in control of, one, 
it's a way to actually be a more emotionally healthy and dealing with the reality that is. Like, if you don't accept what is, like, that's a shitty place to be. If there's something in your life and you're like, I don't accept that, but it's right here. Like, I mean, that's not, you know, but when you're like, that's here, let me be with it and accept exactly how I feel. You don't have to like it, but then it's like, okay, this is here. I don't like it. What can I do about it? That's a very different position than than trying to fight against the very thing that's there. Your relationship with the thing changes how you relate to it and then how the outcomes actually play out and changes how you feel in the course of doing it. And there is a space that exists that I've been learning how to step into after prison where my life can be exactly as it is and there's a level of gratitude that isn't forced or made up or I'm doing just because I'm told gratitude is a good practice, but actually is this is what is, thank you, and where this is, I know where I want to go, but I already feel that actually existing inside of me. So it's not like I'm missing it, but it hasn't shown up in my reality. I may not know how to get there, but I trust because I can feel that it's going to happen. I'm going to take the actions that I know that I can take, and I'm going to be grateful for what I have. That creates an environment of actually creating and manifesting the things that you want in the healthiest and most conscious way, not through force, not through um, uh, like unhealthy ways of attachment. And, and there's such a beautiful place that I've been discovering how to create my life um, from this place of letting go. So why not force it? Why not just impose your will on it so that you can have what you want? Well, look, that works. I mean, there is a level of that works, right? There's very clear people who, who do it that way. Um, but I also think that um, there are outcomes. It's not one, it's not sustainable. I mean, that's how burnout happens. If you're, if you're just so forced, right? That's how I created my life prior to prison. Right. Like I was just I'm going to fucking make it happen. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Right. Like, no doubt you can do stuff, but it takes a lot of energy. You have to be in control. There's negative side effects because then you have to be in control of your emotions. So you're not fully acknowledging when you feel sad or disappointed. Right. So you're not being the most emotionally healthy. Um, And it can have there can be a lot of collateral damage from creating life that way. And. Some of those things, at least from my own journey, when I would look back, a lot of those things didn't stay around because of how they, the foundation upon which they were created was forced or controlled or like I had to hold all the pieces together to create whatever it was. And then sometimes it fell apart. Uh, and then I was pissed off and frustrated. I did all this effort, right? Um, it, it, and so it's not saying that doesn't work. I'm just saying it's not the most health. It, and I was so hard on myself. Man, I just beat myself up. I was, you know, uh, and it, so it's not the, uh, I, I think the most kind and loving way to create your reality. It's also not the easiest way. And, and, and there are greater ways to create your life that are a lot better, that, that are just a lot better overall. And so does that have something to do with LQ? The better ways so, to create? Yeah, L- LQ was born in prison. When I saw... The, the, the power of love in the face of violence. And I didn't, I didn't call it LQ. I didn't realize, oh, this is LQ. Um, I started framing it as LQ, you know, a few years later. Um, but that's really where LQ was born. And when I realized how 
my reality changed, how I how I related to the different things that I saw in my life and how free I, I became so free internally when I was in prison where I just felt like, oh my God, like I feel at one with the prison system. Um, that came through. I feel at one with this whole world full of criminals because I never related to myself as a criminal. I didn't intend to break the law. Right. But I, yet here I am surrounded by criminals who are doing, who are intending to break the law. And so I very deeply loved and embraced everyone around me. And I realized that whenever I felt resistance to somebody, that was because most likely there was an unloved and unembraced aspect of myself that I was judging, that I judged within me, which then showed up as a projection onto them. And so I loved mm -hmm. and embraced you know, everybody in there into on an energetic level, which then opened me up. And then I was like, oh my God, at one point, if I feel completely at one with everyone in here and this entire prison system, that was very powerful. And that came about through raising my LQ and learning how to very deeply love and embrace all aspects of self. Okay. So we haven't defined it. So LQ is love quotient. I think a lot of people will talk about emotional intelligence, but this is a new concept that we're introducing to most folks. And it was one of the things that was intriguing in our conversation. So can, can we go deeper on this and what it actually yeah. is and why it is? Yeah. So EQ, emotional intelligence is having an understanding of the different emotions and your ability to communicate about them. Um, LQ is the intelligence of the heart. And you can have a mental understanding of an emotion but lq is about a a getting into your actual heart and life changes when you shift from living life from the head to living life from the heart and one of the ways to get into your heart is through creating a relationship with your inner self or your inner child and learning how to have a conversation with this part of yourself and i say this is the most important relationship that anyone has is your relationship with yourself. And it's not who you see in the mirror that I'm talking about, that what you could call that your adult self or your, your ego. It's what's underneath that. It's what the ego actually gets designed to protect and overcompensate for. It's all those wounds from our childhood and how we weren't loved enough or accepted enough, uh, which I, which was dry, which, which is the pain that drove me initially to have the initial success in my life. But I realized I was creating my life from a place of pain. And I said, no, I want to create my life from a place of feeling already fully loved and accepted and validated. And so it was through that relationship with my inner self, my inner child, and learning how to love and embrace all those aspects of self that actually enabled me to feel more whole and complete and um, raised my LQ. And then just it's so much freedom as I moved into my heart, was able to let go of my mind being the one that has to lead the way just the amount of freedom and internal power and knowingness of myself and my life purpose came through that path. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, a.k.a. the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. 
When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So, do you have any examples of the difference between thinking with your head versus thinking with your heart? I'm not sure how to answer that other than if you don't know how to get, if you're not, you will know if you're living life from your heart um, because you would have lived your life from your head for the majority of life. And then it's like, okay, let me get into my heart. Let me keep surrendering, surrendering into my heart. There was a certain point where I was like, it's now time to surrender my mind. And I remember I completely let go of my mind as the leader. I surrender that to my heart. And that was where my mind actually became a tool of my heart to still execute and navigate this life. Um, So I'm not sure how to necessarily give a specific example, but it changes you feel life as opposed to thinking life. It sounds like intuition. What's interesting, I think we can go back to the card table example. Like from your head, it's going to be, I need to defend myself. I need to protect myself. I need to put my hands up and fight this guy. The heart was, hey, man, I love you. And, you know, it's not soft. It's not weak. It's, it's, this is what it is. And that in and of itself handled the situation. And I think, you knew and before you said it that it was going to be okay, even though there was some anxiety, maybe there was some fear that this could go really wrong. But it sounds like you trusted your intuition. Fair or yeah. no? Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a great example, right? If I was living from my head in that situation, there wouldn't have been a level of internal safety that I felt to even reply that way, right? The head would have, it would never reply with, I love you to that situation. The head's like, I got to fight. It's either fight or flight. That's the head. So that's the other thing. In our nervous system, we have the, the fight or flight mode. And then we have the, the next level of how we process information. I forgot which part of the brain. But as you increase your LQ and love those different parts of yourself, that fight or flight or freeze, fight, flight or freeze mode, you don't operate from that anymore. Because now it, you have been able to access this other part of your brain because you feel safe enough in your body to be present with whatever is. And so it sounds like kind of foundational to LQ is this knowing that everything's going to be okay. And this knowing that you don't have to make it okay. Is that fair? I think it's, I know I'll be okay, even if it doesn't feel okay. So I would say it's not that everything's going to be okay. Cause there might be, I was in prison. That's not okay. But I'm still, I, I still found a place of internal peace and safety in the not okayness, right? So there's different levels of okay, right? I didn't like, it wasn't my preference to be in prison. It was actually horrible. But I found an internal level of peace and safety and okayness within, in the circumstances that were, you know, really bad. And so on the backside, so you come out and what do you do? Right. Because I mean, your life has changed. I'm sure people treat you different at this point. Old networks may be cold. Like, how do you, for lack of a better word, get back on your feet and, and start going again? Because I mean, I think you were outside the US like over 10 months last year. Yeah. So um, when I got out of prison, it was like, 
all right, like I know how to get back into life. I know how to like just start driving again like I had before. But I was like, no, I'm not going to create my life from this place of just like drive and just beating myself up. Like I've made a decision to create from a place of being kind and loving. And, and like the first, and I was in such this surrendered space when I got out and I was like, okay, universe, I'm ready to receive. Like I, I've done the work right now. I'm ready to receive all that I desire. And I took very little action and I got to the end of 2015 and I looked back and I was like, fuck, like nothing happened, right? Like maybe there is, I, maybe I got to bring some of that action back in. Maybe I got to bring some, because I had thrown all that stuff out. And which was what I was glad I did. So I went from like this completely programmed, super accomplishing machine. I said, I'm going to, I need to go back to ground zero, right? And I completely deprogrammed myself. And the only thing I took along with me was love. And I get out, I'm so surrendered by like, no, 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 I need to take some action here. I need to, right? And so then I started uh, 2016. I was like, all right, I got to bring action back in, right? I need to, fortunately, I had some money from the sale of my company that I wasn't in a tight money position. Um, and, and so it's been really over the last seven years that I've been relearning how to live. Like, how do I really take powerful action from this place of surrender? And it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy, but I've really just been following my heart, you know, continuing to meditate, continuing to surrender. And it's slow, 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 slow. Uh, that I've seen it, but I know I'm on the right path. I know I'm on the right journey um, because I can feel it. I, I can feel it. I can feel it on the, in, on the, on the, on the inside. Okay. And so when did you know, I call this the red pill moment. When did you know that this new approach was going to work outside of prison and like back in the real world where you'd only achieve success the other way? Um. Well, the fact that I was able, I mean, there's part of me, it was actually, there was one time in uh, 2015 where I had run out of money, almost. And it was towards the end of the 2015. And I was like, um, I, I remember I went by on one month with only spending $500. And I was wow. eating, I was like, so glad my friend had this frozen food in the, refrigerator and he's like yeah you can have it and i was like oh my god let me eat this frozen food um it, and uh, and then um the next month i i found this one client and i was back to making you know 15 20 grand a month and and so um it gave me a trust in knowing that whatever's happening is happening for my highest good i still it, action is still essential component. You have to take action. But where is the action coming from? Is it coming from a place of pain? Is it coming from a place of inspiration? Is it coming from, am I being guided by love? Or is it being guided by something else? And so um, I am now on a path, having so deeply surrendered, where there is a level of inspiration that the actions I take come from my inspiration, come from my highest knowing. Um, and look, it's still not working. Like I, I'm still not acceler I'm not accelerating at the rate that I feel like I should be or want to be. But that has been something for me to surrender into. And the trusting and the knowing of like, why hasn't it still clicked for me? 
the way like I know it will. And that's a trust for me. It's not the right time yet, right? But I'm not in control of that. I, so I think we all have unique life lessons that we learn every lifetime. And for me, one of my life lessons is I will get everything that I desire, but I'm not in control of when it happens. That's a motherfucker lesson, right? Because uh, the whole world out there wants <laughs> to teach you how to be in control of getting what you want. Buy my program, read my book, whatever. We'll give you the answer. And I think, look, all that's great stuff. But I think one of the biggest things that impacts our ability to actually get the things that we desire in life is our unique pre-designed life plan and the lessons that we're here to learn. And one of the lessons I'm here to learn is I'm not in control of when I get what I want. Oh, it seems like it would be really easy to go back to the other place, the place where you know how to get the result. And I know that it's limited on the level that you can do things, right? Because you've got so much willpower you can do. But when you get frustrated with waiting, being in submission, what keeps you from going back to the other place, other approach? When I couldn't, I remember there was a time uh, a few, I don't know, five years ago. And I was like, all right. I know it's time now for me to make this happen. Like I can feel it, like it's mine. And I, I drove back in there with that energy and my system, my, my nervous system had completely changed and I broke down. I got sick. I couldn't, I couldn't even operate. So there's been times where I've tried and I get sick and I'm like, this is wrong. This, I, this is not the way it's not healthy. And, and so, um, that was a learning lesson for me. And then ever since that, I'm like, no, this is the path. I just need to keep going deeper. I need to keep going deeper. I need to keep going deeper. I need to trust, trust my inner voice, follow, continue to surrender and let go. And then re even recently over the last couple of months, it's been just anchor in gratitude for everything that I have. Um, and so that's kind of been over the last couple of months, my, my internal practice. And it's been amazing the little synchronicities that are happening from doing that. I think there's something very powerful that happens on the quantum level when there is a release to how quickly or the outcome that you're getting to, like there's a knowingness of where you're going to end up. There's even intention of knowing where you're going to end up. But there's a flow that occurs on the quantum level in, in actually getting there in the most miraculous way with the least amount of effort that gets opened up to when there is a release of the attachment to the outcome and of any frustrations that could arise by not having it now. Release of attachment from the outcome. That's the second time that that's come up during the show. And I think so many people feel like failures if the outcome that they envision doesn't show up exactly as they envisioned it. And it sounds like you're saying, do the work and what happens will happen. But I, I'd love to dive into this concept more of detaching from the outcome. Yeah. Um, and look, there's still frustration and disappointment 
can come up for me, but it's, it's flashing or it's, 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 it's not as thick as it used to be. Um, and when it does, I just acknowledge it and love the one who's feeling frustrated or disappointed, disappointed, but that has gotten less and less and less and less and less as time has gone on. And then I've noticed like, oh, that thing, you know, that girl that I was trying to go out with, uh, she didn't show up or didn't reply like, oh, that's okay. Where before I'd be like, man, I would have been pretty upset about that. And so one of the things that's really helped with being able to let go of the attachment to the outcome is feeling is this what I call quantum having. It's where all that I desire is already within me and feeling and actually being able to feel all that I desire already within me. So it's just like um, that actually made a really big that happened. To, that got anchored in about four months ago and has really made a big shift into how I relate with my reality, where before, if something didn't show up, there would have been a higher level of frustration or disappointment. But now that I can actually feel all that I desire already within me, that's actually played a really big impact to not seeing the actions that I desire, you know, manifest externally. Hey, I remember when I first got exposed to this concept of essence that you're, you're sharing with us right now. And it's like, you don't actually want the thing. You want what you believe the thing is going to bring you. It's like, no, no, I want the thing. Cause we were talking about income at the point. They like, no, no, yeah. you just want what you think you're going to get when you get the thing. And if you can feel what you believe you'll feel when you get the thing, that's when it unlocks and the thing actually comes to you. And I struggled. It took me probably a year to have any understanding of what was being offered to me, but when it happened, right, we, like you want to feel abundant, but you don't feel abundant because you don't have the income that you want to have. So, oh, but I got to have this in order to feel abundant. No, you don't. It's already in you because you can't have it if it's not in you. You can only attract what you are. Is that right? Or am I totally off? Yeah. But the thing, but the thing, here's the, here's the difference where I kind of break with that is like the thing does matter. Having that thing in reality, like, I think that's an important component. And I'm a full supporter of everybody having the life of their wildest dreams and all the physical stuff that they want. I think the whole spiritual world poo-poos too much on the, on the physical. Like, you know, yeah, I can be happy internally, but I want whatever I want. Like, I want, right? And I think that's a good, healthy thing to have what you desire. Uh, I'm not the car. trying to be all... <laughs> Yeah, like fucking have the car, right? Like, um, and, and so what I mean when I'm talking about the quantum having, it's not just the feeling, but it's feeling like you already have the car, not just the feelings that the car will give you, but like that with, so if you think about, um, if you've studied quantum physics, um, then there is a, a realm uh, that exists where everything is manifested from. Right. It's the possibility. It's the realm where all possibilities exist that where the physical manifests from. And uh, I was meditating one day and I felt this, the entire universe merge inside of me, actually into my heart. And I was like, holy fuck. Like I now feel I have all that I desire, not just the feeling, but I could feel the car and the money and the women and the, all the things that I like inside. Like I have, I have it. It's here. Now it's not external. I want it externally, but 
feeling it inside that I wasn't lacking of the things that I desired to see external of myself actually has played a significant role, I believe, in this unique way of creating life. Because we've talked about the other way of creating life. But in this, this is how I want to create life. I want to create life from the heart, from not from force, but from this place of love and already being fulfilled and, and already feeling these things within me, I know is playing a significant role because it now is enabling me to take actions where I'm now even more further detached from the outcomes and more fully surrendered and more trusting that I will actually take the right actions in the path to get the, to have the things that I desire without force or without that old method of like, if it's meant to be, it's up to me only kind of mindset. Wow. So I think people may say, oh yeah, that answer is obvious, but I don't think it's going to be. Was there a rock bottom on your journey? Was there a place where you're like, man, I don't ever want to come back here. Uh, I've had many rock bottoms. So my first rock bottom was for my first felony when I was 21, when I got arrested for growing marijuana, locked in prison, facing like 40 years. Oh. Uh, fortunately, I was able to get one year incarceration, two years probation, and was able to do that on house arrest. Um, but that was rock bottom. Like all my stuff confiscated, like business, all my business stuff. Like that was, I was so depressed. You know, I was smoking cigarettes at the time and I remember I had to go on antidepressants because of how depressed I was feeling at the time. And I remember sitting with a friend of mine who I was renting out one of my rooms to and um, being like, Brian, watch, I'm going to put this cigarette out on my hand. And I went, and I'm not even going to make a face. And I remember going and it just put the cigarette and didn't even make a face. And, and I still have that scar on my hand. And that just reminds me of how low I was. I went on antidepressants, came out of that. And, you know, there, I've been up to a million and back down to zero two times, and maybe even three times, three times, two, three times, definitely two, maybe this other time. And, and, and so that's been very frustrating every time I'm up. And then whether it's market conditions or prison in, in one case, the latter. Um, and, and then, you know, another really deep time was when I was in prison, the 19 months. Um, I would say that was... Uh, another level of hard, you know, being in prison for 19 months, the hardest thing I've ever gone through. That was another rock bottom. And then, it, and then when I had got out of prison in um, the first three months of 2016, I remember I went through this really like the most, probably the worst depression. I, it was, I, my intuition told me it was, this is called the final tunnel of darkness. And for three months, man, I was so depressed, like thought about suicide, I had to get help. Unfortunately, I had a friend that was able to give me some coaching and, and help me get through it. But uh, I've, had, I've had several rock bottoms. And I think one of the greatest gifts that's come from that and also in, my, in prison was I am willing to face whatever life will give me for my highest evolution. And so there has been a depth of surrender that has come through facing these difficult situations where I'll say, like, if there's, if there's more I need to go through to evolve to the highest level I'm meant to evolve in this lifetime, bring it on. Fucking bring it because I am willing to surrender into the possibility of everything for my highest good and the highest good of all. For my highest good. 
and for the highest good of all. And those things are, they go together. They're not separate, right? They're not mutually exclusive. Yep. Yep. My happy, your happiness is a service to others. Where'd you learn that? That's a big deal right there. Yeah. And that, that is from uh, one of my mentors, Matt Kahn. Okay. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> you Matt. just helped the world there. So what would you say you're most grateful for, Chris? Because we've been on a wild ride, man. Had all the things, almost hit the bottom, back up, back down. And now you're on the rise back up. What are you most grateful for? Hmm. It immediately came to me when you said that was just being alive. The fact that I get to go through all of this and I'm able to see through it for what it really is. This is my journey as a spirit in human form that's here to recognize and remember all that he is and transform himself, transform this body to create the life of his wildest dreams and have the greatest impact on billions of lives around the world. So just, just the journey, the journey itself. You said billions. So few people can think of that level. How do you see yourself impacting the lives of billions? So through my books, different businesses that I'll own and through LQ, I think LQ will eventually have the biggest impact as LQ gets integrated into the school system, into the business world, into mental health, and people really learn and understand how to really connect with their inner selves, their inner child, um, really learn how to love themselves. I mean, that, that that's going to impact the world in, in, in big ways. I think the world needs more love. And I appreciate you being somebody who's sharing that message. I think so many folks are caught up in selfishness and there's nothing loving about selfish, not even loving of themselves when they're being selfish. I think that brings a tremendous amount of harm because we end up in these one loop situations where somebody is being harmed or hurt or probably wronged in, this, in the situation and the circumstance. So I really do appreciate your approach and the language you use to describe the way that we live, we, our, our experiences are in a vacuum, our experiences with all those that are around us. And if we can help each other get to the next place, then there's gotta be benefit for us in addition to the people that we help. And I think that's when our life starts to matter. And I've been asking this question over and over again and asking it publicly now, does my life really matter? And I want the listeners to pause and really ponder that. Does your life really matter? Chris, you, you could have just been locked away for the rest of your life. And, you know, the impact that you have could have been confined to just whatever cell you were in, but that didn't happen. It's not happening for you. And so it sounds like you're you're taking advantage of the opportunity. You, you said you're most grateful for being alive. And I think that's a great way to, to put it because you've been through the things that probably at some points made you not want to be live or consider if life would, if it would be better if you just weren't here. And it, I think a lot of men suffer in silence and they have this pressure 
to achieve so that they can get the love. And, you know, you take away their ability to provide or create, and then they feel like less than a man. And now they're in this box. And then the only way you find control is to let go of control. And so there's all of this nuance that we cover in this conversation today. And I, I just want to thank you for being a dream catcher, because if you were, then you would have stopped, you would have given up, or you would have harmed or hurt people who may or may not have uh, even had any concept of what was possible. And so with that said, man, I want to ask you the last question when I ask everybody, what gift are you most focused on giving the world? I think the gift of me, you know, I know I'm quite unique in many different ways and I have many different thoughts and things that most people would find unconventional. And I think the more fully that I can live my life as an expression of freedom, as somebody who's pursuing the life of their wildest dreams, that is a gift to others as an example of what's possible. Where are they holding back? Where are they still caught in the matrix of, of what society says is acceptable? You know, it's been a journey for me of how authentically can I live? How, how can I be me in the face of rejection and judgment and, uh, uh, and all of that. And, and then, you know, uh, uh, you know, from that is the, uh, the gifts and the businesses and the books and the, the speaks, uh, the talks and all that stuff that, you know, are, are, are reflections of, of, of just being authentically me. But I think, you know, if more people were just authentically themselves spoke, just like, what is it that you really desire? Like, go for that, speak that. You know, like just fucking know, speak, speak, find. Like, what is it that you really want? Like, that's a good thing. Your desires are good. Pursue your desires, right? And figure out how to do it in the most healthy and conscious way, right? And that's about getting in touch with your inner self. And so that's, that's what I would say. Beautiful. Chris, thank you so much. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.